So Nirvana were like, <laughs> like uh, spent a lot of the day in the canteen at Limehouse in Wembley, you know, drinking cups of coffee and, uh, you know, moaning that someone had ate all their sandwiches. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Stupid and Contagious podcast, episode six. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Terry Christian from The Word. Well, Luke and Dave will be. I, I wasn't involved in that interview, but just a quick reminder, if you're listening, then please do leave us a review rating so that other people can find it. And if you're watching on YouTube, please do give it a like, comment below and uh, subscribe to the channel. Anyway, let's get into this week's podcast. <laughs> So before we get started, Dave, you had some homework to, I think you had to listen to Entombed and... The Lars. That's it, The Lars, yeah. So go on, what do you reckon? Well, I did do my homework. The Lars, it, it was all right. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It was Just all right. That's it though, isn't it? All right, yeah, is that's... that good enough? I mean, maybe that's... not, but yeah, I really liked that There She Goes at the time, but I over-listened to it, so that was almost the most annoying track in it. You had to ever listen to it because there isn't anything else. But yeah, it was all right. By the way, if anyone's in the Facebook group, Luke's done an extensive rundown of the whole album. So you can find out exactly what he thinks about every song. Well, yeah, um, I felt kind of bad because there was a bit of pushback against it. And I, you know, I'm no expert. I'm not claiming to be. So I thought I'd go back and listen to it properly and like make notes track by track. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. So if you're interested, uh, there's a post up on the Facebook group uh, about that. I mean, that's the thing. We, we don't claim to be experts on music. We just we just love music. So music's subjective. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do like it, great. You know, disagree with us. There's always someone that, that knows a lot more about you than one particular band, right? Or one particular yeah, album or yeah. music. And, you know, that's an album I hadn't listened to for a long time. Um, I say in the post, at the time, I did listen to it a lot. It was uh, on, on In The House, like, a real lot. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't unfamiliar with it, but just never took to it. So, um, yeah, which is yeah, fine, you know. I've tried to uh, give it a fair hearing, basically. Exactly. That's all we can do. And like, like we say, if you disagree, that's fine. That's, we haven't got a problem with that. That's the beauty of music. It's subjective, right? So, Dave, what do you think about Intent? <laughs> At first, I thought you were winding me up. <laughs> what? The, the record company is Earache Records Limited. Yeah, yeah, That's they're right. classic. They're probably the most famous metal label in the world. Yeah. The titles of some of the tracks, Abnormally yeah. Deceased, yeah. Morbid Devourment, yeah. Supposed to Rot, Reveling <laughs> Flesh. It's about, like, they're most about, like, teenage love, aren't they? That's it. <laughs> What what was impressive that the musicianship? I mean, it's so fucking fast. But yeah. I, yeah. oh, that the voice! I mean, do you really enjoy it? I I really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tend to agree with Dave on that one. Like, I do like a bit of metal, but the really sort of hard, unintelligible sort of lyric ones, I do struggle with. I have to say, right? See, when I you can't really... I see it as part of the music. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I get that. Yeah. You did ask me, you said something like, you know, try and try and understand at least what they're doing. And um, what I, what I what I think it is, is they're not it's not just like pop music in that they're trying to create songs. It's like they're trying to create a whole world. You That's know, good. it's like a, escaping to a world, not just to music. 
And that's a that's a good thing, isn't it? Especially for the kids listening. That's that, a, that's yeah. a good thing, I think. That makes it more interesting to me. But yeah, the the actual sound of the <laughs> you good. know. No, I can't. I can't get into it's, it. It's really hard to do. Um, yeah, I get that. That's that's cool, man. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that's probably why like metal has remained as like a subculture for so long because it does create that whole aesthetic and a whole world that you can kind of belong to, right? Um, yeah. Which I think which I really like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's Dave's homework. Before we go any further, I'm just gonna. I put this in the Facebook group. But I'm just going to read you a, a little, a nice little review we got on on Reddit this week. So uh, here we go. Listen to half of this, and it's painfully boring. It's three British guys reading the UK music charts from 1990 and saying, "Yeah, a lot." Don't waste your time. There's nothing insightful or stories about the music whatsoever. Skip it unless you have insomnia and are trying to get to sleep. Uh, yeah, pretty good, I thought. You know. Lots of people do. That's true. true. There's a big audience. Providing a there. service. Got a niche yeah. audience there. I, I, I Again. wanted to say, yeah. It's subjective. Then there's a response, and I to... <laughs> Yeah. Held myself back. You know, they could be right. They could be half right on a lot of it. We're not experts. We're just three people who like 90s music. But I do, yeah. I do have to caveat that with um, Luke, in particular, does a lot of research before each show so you know we do do a bit of research beforehand so not to mention 30 odd years of obsessive music listening and countless uh books uh, read but uh, yeah Yeah, yeah. there you go so but you know we don't expect everyone to like it but i thought that's quite uh, reddit's really territorial anyway i don't know if any of you've been on there but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's quite a harsh place so, yeah, let's get into um, the crux, crux of this week's episode, which is uh, the word. Let's, let's have a chat about the word. So, yeah, if we just have a quick talk about Terry Christian, the man, the legend, Terry Christian, Luke. OK, well, most of my information comes from his, his own book, My Word. Um, there you go. There's a plug. Which is quite old now. It's like 2008 or something like that it came out. Um, so most of the information, 2007, so most of the information um, I get comes from his view, his side of it. But born in Manchester, 1960, so I guess he's 63, 62, 63. Oh, Fourth yeah. child of six kids, big Irish family in Manchester. Interesting, I was reading a thing just from an interview a couple of years ago. He considers himself ethnically Irish, which is interesting. Um, grew up in, in pretty bad poverty, it seems, from uh, the stories told uh, in the book. Identified as a socialist and uh, kind of a member of lots of left-wing groups and stuff from an early age. Yeah, that that comes across That comes across on his Twitter page at the moment, really, I think. So, yeah, uh, kind of got into punk as a teenager. Um, he talks about it in the interview, but he said, he, you know, he grew up either on a street where either you were Irish or, you know, you were like like black, basically. So grew up with a lot of kind of Jamaican music, black music. So he applied biology, but got kicked off his course for bad attendance. So after that, he went back home, was unemployed, managed a reggae band for a bit, did quite a lot of club promotion and stuff like that. Um, kind of quite famously, he, he first got on TV as part of a, a show um, featuring like unemployed youths of Manchester. I didn't know that. This is like, in the early 80s and there were like riots and stuff going on all over oh, the country. Okay. 
yeah. it was like a response to that, like trying to find out, you know, what was what the youth were disaffected about, like, and also Johnny Marr from the Smith was also on the same program. Oh, really? That's interesting. And it and it wasn't just a one-off. It was like a weekly thing over quite a few months. By the hmm. by, the sound. I have of to it. go back and check it out. So apparently, he came. He was kind of became a bit of like a a celebrity on that for his performance on that. Okay. From that, he got offered a job on some uh, local radio and yeah. did loads of radio work. Was the youngest ever person to win a Sony Award. Really? Uh, and the first person wow. to ever win two Sony Awards. And then in the late 80s, when Madchester, as you insist on it being called, Neil. Um, Only, let, let's just, just clarify. If you're referring to the city, then Manchester's fine. If you're refer- yeah. referring to that specific period of music in Manchester, it's exactly got to be Manchester. What I'm referring to. That's exactly right. what I'm referring to. So Manchester kicked off. You have to say every Man- time. <laughs> you got it, you got it. It was mad. And Manchester yeah. became like, you know, the centre of the, of the music world. I think he was in like the right, fi- right place at the right time. He basically, at the audition, got offered the job uh, on The Word. And he was there right from the beginning in the planning. And actually The yeah. Word started off as a, a page that he had in the Manchester Evening News. He did, that's like, right. A he talks about it in the interview, column. doesn't he? Mm. Think, mm. Yeah. That was where the name yeah. came from. That's, that's Terry, basically. Well, up until then. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown on the word itself for people who Well, it didn't ran watch from it. 1990 to 1995. Um, started out um, on a bit earlier, 6 o'clock on a Friday. That's right, because um, it replaced the tube, didn't it, or something? That's it. Was yeah. it the tube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then yeah. got moved to 9pm uh, quite soon after, I think. Although I thought yeah. it was later than that. No, it was definitely later than that. Well, yeah. no, we were just young. We were probably just young. We just <laughs> no, we thought it was, it was late. late. <laughs> I think it was late eleven. Yeah, I thought Maybe it was late at night. Mm, yeah. What's the watershed? Yeah. It had to be after the watershed, didn't it? Well, that's nine. nine. I can't believe it was on at six. It can't have been the, the same riotous show in the early incarnations that were on at six, surely. No, no, can't exactly. So I did a little bit of research before today. I just went on Wikipedia, basically. Yeah, I've just got I've just got some notable moments from the show. Um, obviously, Nirvana, international television debut, where they did Smells Like Teen Spirit, with Kurt Cobain famously declaring Courtney Love to be the best fuck in the world. Yeah, man. Do you, I mean, do you remember seeing that? I do remember it, yeah. Yeah. It was good, wasn't yeah. it? Unbelievable. Obviously, there was the L7 performance of Danita Sparks famously pulling her jeans and underwear down. Yeah. Full frontal Again, nudity. Had, I mean, Dave, do you remember Do you remember watching these? Yeah, I remember the L7 one. I must have seen Nirvana, but I don't remember it. I mean, that L7 one back in the day, we, we were like young teens, you know, that was... Yeah, I wonder why I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it did feel really outrageous didn't it? It, it it was unbelievable i can't believe it was allowed to be on on TV. but i think it was outrageous um, it, it couldn't do that now could you no i Don't guess know. not i guess not rage against the machine playing killing in the name i think i, I do remember that i'm sure i remember that i totally do you remember, remember that yeah, yeah very very well yeah yeah I've got some uh, more off-the-wheel ones here. Lynn Perry, who's best known for her role as Ivy Tilsley in Coronation Street, performed a tuneless rendition of I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> I think I do remember that. 
I think she was famously famous as well for having bodged surgery. She was in the news for having bodged facial plastic surgery, allegedly. Who? Ivy. There you go. Obviously, there was the very drunk Oliver Reed is doing wild thing with Ned's Atomic Dustbin, which uh, is a legendary performance. I mean, I'm not sure about the whole Oliver Reed thing. I think it's a bit mean, really, isn't it, to play on someone's struggles <coughs> for ratings. But I don't know. Do they engineer it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think it really like used George to... George Best was on Woden, <coughs> remember that? Yeah, at the time, I think if you're going to get Oliver Reed on, you're getting him on for one reason only. They're the only ones on Wikipedia anyway, but there were many, many more. Obviously, the census things, they were on there. I remember those. Mega City 4. Probably itself must have been on there. Dinosaur Junior, they did start chopping. I remember that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really good. Faith No More. Faith No More on like three times. And Blur were on three times as well. They were on super early. But Blur were on with Pop Scene. Yeah, so many great bands. And obviously their Oasis debut, that came a bit later on, but Oasis, Supersonic, first ever TV performance. Again, do you remember it? I do remember it. Yeah, I remember Liam that. had like an old school camera that he was sort of waving around. I do specifically remember at the time thinking, fucking hell, this is a bit different. I mean, Liam looks so good there. He looks like, he looks beautiful. He looks, yeah, yeah, he looks so young. The arrogance of it, debut TV performance, acting like you're already the biggest band in the world, is it was a, a sign of things to come, wasn't it? It's weird to say that Oasis sound different now, because obviously they've become... The establishment. Yeah, but back then it was very different. Beautifully crafted, like, pop songs, like Live Forever. It was something completely new, really. But have you seen... Um programs now in the same slot that the word was in like the last leg if you've seen that i like the last leg yeah it just feels like they're trying to recreate the the vibe that the word had but problem they've got these days is they've got parameters they have to stick to they didn't really have them back then you know you can't get away with a lot of things these days rightly or wrongly on tv which you could back then yeah, well, do you want to talk about that? Like the, um, I'll do anything to get on TV shit. That was, uh... But yeah, I do remember that. It was, oh, it was pretty awful. It's, it's coming back, isn't it, on bloody TikTok. Is TikTok it? Live. Oh, talking about TikTok doing oh, to get on TV TikTok live. or screen. Me, Luke and Dave have spent a bit of time on TikTok Live because it's just mad. Anyone who hasn't experienced TikTok Live yet should go and have a look. It's just fucking mental. It's just people doing nothing. There's nothing mental about that. It's boring. I know, but that's what's mental about it, isn't it? I wrote in my notes that it was like a forerunner to YouTube, but you might be right. TikTok might be a better comparison than YouTube. I remember the bloke snogging the old lady. I think everyone remembers that one. Did I, I think I remember somebody, they, they got someone to drink salt water, then puke in a glass and then drink their own puke. Is Sounds that right? Like it. It's probably I'm sure it's right. I'm sure Fuck. I remember yeah. that. That's horrible, right? I don't think Terry Christian was responsible for those. No, I think I think he talks about this as well. I think that was that was he the does producers in the book as well. He's, he's, he wasn't into it, yeah. Uh, but they had some good presenters. They uh, apart from Terry Christian, they had Mark Lamar, didn't they? He was he was pretty good on that. It's pretty funny. Katie, yeah. Katie, pa- Katie, Katie Puckrick. P- Puckrick, I liked that's her. It. She was funny. Yeah. Amanda Decadene. She was quite good. Good one, Dave. <laughs> 
nearly as good as Natalie Umbrella. Say it again, Dave. Go on. I think I missed it. Amanda the Cabinet. <laughs> uh, I had loads. I mean, I, I won't say them all because I, I kind of, I talked to um, Terry about them in the interview. But one I didn't mention, I think, um, was uh, Smashing Pumpkins doing Disarm. Do you remember that? Ah, oh, no, I don't. But that's my favourite Smashing Pumpkins song. Oh, man. I can't believe it's, I missed that I watched one. it again uh, yesterday. It's really incredible. It's like really powerful. It's it's great. You like it's you like epic. you like Billy Billy Corgan, don't you? Big fan. <laughs> I, I wasn't the biggest Smashing Pumpkins fan, to, to be honest. Although I like I like I do like some of their songs, but this arm is, is you know it's, it's an amazing song. And I think have that, you seen that's probably like the best live performance I've, I've seen on there? Really, I might have seen it. I might have seen it, but I did, I definitely love that song. I'll check it out. But have you seen any of Billy? Corgan's interviews of late. I think you'd hate him even more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's even. I haven't. I haven't. I can guess though. Yeah. Elaborate quickly. To be fair, Smashing Pumpkins are a very well-respected and esteemed band, right? He just won't let anyone ever forget that. Forget that. He loves Smashing Pumpkins more more than anyone else. (laughs) Well, himself is Smashing Pumpkins, and I think (laughs) that's the issue. I thought you were going to say he's turned into some right-wing nut job or something. Oh, no, no, he's no, uh, no Morrissey, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lemonhead's doing Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, that's Really right. good, really grunged Great. up, like fucking full-on distorted guitar. That's version. right, I'd forgotten about that one, but yeah, really good. Evan Dando changing the words to uh, any way you look at it, you're fucked. Again, yeah, because you know, right? that's so the good. other thing, like, it was totally live. They all sounded great as well. Um, yeah. Something about that environment. And all the, all the kids were close to the stage, weren't they? It was really sort yeah. of... Yeah. Oh, man, I so wanted to be in that audience. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. we'd probably been too young, but yeah, it yeah. Looked, looked fun. Um, Cypress Hill, Tricky, oh, just yeah. really yeah, memorable ones for me. Yeah, just a great show, you know. I was going to say we used to watch it when we came back from the pub, but that's bollocks because we we weren't going to the pub. We were 13. I can't remember. Yeah, but we started we going to the a... pub when we were 15. So that was, it went for five years. So we're two years watching at home. Pre-pub, I think we all used to go for a wander around Seaford, didn't we, of an evening? Yeah, pop into the graveyard, go to the crouch. Yeah, yeah you know. Hang out. The sneaky cigs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then when we got home, put on the word, isn't it? It can't have been nine. It must have been later than that. Yeah. Definitely was 11 till 12. Dave, have yeah. you got any memorable performances you wanted to mention before we go into the uh, interview with Terry? Uh, one thing I remember is Mark Lamore taking the piss out of MC Hammer. and I, <laughs> I think it was funny then, but looking back now, I don't find that funny now. <laughs> That was one thing I remember that you haven't mentioned. Hang on, why not? Why is it not funny now? Well, well, yeah. <laughs> you say it, you say it as if... It's so rude. <laughs> I think that was the point of the show, wasn't it? Although I have made the point about Oliver Reed. Stop. I guess it's a similar... Hammer time. <laughs> All right. Well, you thought it was a bit rude to MC Hammer. At the time, it was funny. But looking at the clip now, I just think, it's just insulting to the guy. <laughs> have you seen it? Oh, man, Hammer forgives him. He's a man of God, man. It's fine. He forgives him. Why was it that bad? Well, take a look. It was quite car crash TV, a lot of the interviews, wasn't it? We remember the music, like reading the book, like he talks about like the insane amount of like, Hollywood actors he was 
mm. you know, being sent over to LA to interview and stuff like that. And these crazy stories he got up to doing like that kind of outside the studio stuff seems to be like the yeah. main thing behind the show. But we just remember like the bands in the studio, right? And, and the bands as well. They interviewed all the but I remember a, a really sort of awkward interview with Faith No More as well on there. That was the show, wasn't it? It was just, uh, it was all quite spontaneous. It's like this, it's like this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> we'll see what the people on Reddit say after this one. Yeah, here's the interview with when Luke and I met Terry Christian. Oh, and if you're watching on YouTube, apologies, but um, Terry's uh, video camera wasn't working, but uh, you are able to see me and Dave. Thanks for coming on. Um, I thought in case we forget to talk about it later or we run out of time, let's start with your uh, stand-up tour that's coming up. Can you tell us a bit about it and what people can expect from that? Yeah, well, I've done I've done about 10 shows. So it's called The Word is Terry Christian, Naughty 90s and more. It's a slight dig, but it's more about, about the 90s, about that feel, you know, because if you think about how divisive things are now and, you know, obviously the start of the 90s, it was still very much Thatcherism. It was still this... This idea that you were a bit of an outcast being a young person, I suppose that's still the case now. And the idea was to make a youth programme that unlike, a, you know, youth programmes that have come before the word, they'd all been a little bit, oh God, it sounds terrible to say it, but they'd all been a bit glib and middle class, hadn't they? It'd all been a bit, you know, kind of asp- overly aspirational, you know, like Magenta Divine in a designer shades and you know, Network 7 where they're all walking around in design, you know, leather trousers and what have you and you know the, the sort of pretend concern about you know different different aspects and really you know all I could think of I always felt that you know being being young or being a youth in inverted commas was that weird gap between I mean I cheekily described it between infancy and adultery you know and I just thought well let's so the so really when I thought about myself age 14 15 I just couldn't wait to be old enough to go out and drink underage. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I couldn't wait to be able to go out. And so the idea of the word was we developed it into a, into a show that we basically bought a, a night out into your front room if you were like 14, 15, 16. So, so that, that, that was the idea of it, basically. And uh, to do the stand-up show now, because... Obviously, I had quite a tragic life. You know, I had a, 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 an upbringing that was too character building, so it lends itself very well to comedy. And uh, I did a comedy tour years ago called Naked Confessions of a Recovering Catholic, which was about that, you know, growing up Irish descent in inner city Manchester back in the 60s and 70s. And that did really well, but I knew that people who were buying tickets <laughs> weren't coming to see me talking about, you know, being terrorised by nuns. They wanted, they wanted to know about the word. So I used to do a Q&A afterwards. And this show developed from the Q&A. But it should have been touring back in 2020. But, uh, you know, the pandemic and all the rest of it, because I had a 17-date tour lined up and that all had to be cancelled. Then it was re- redone again and that had to be cancelled. You know, I would have ended up like with, you know, one, one socially distanced uh, gig. That's what I would have ended up with at the end. So I started again, and it's slowly building up. So I've only done 10 shows so far, but they've all been absolutely fantastic. I mean, really good, especially the last three. So it's it's going in the right direction. It's just getting them more regularly because I'm doing it all on my own at the moment. Yeah, yeah. have you got so many left? Standards. Hey? Is, is the tour going on or is it upcoming? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's upcoming. So I've done 10 gigs, and then I've got... 
one in July, uh, Bath Comedia, then I've got three in August, and then, you know, it's like two a week from September through to December, and then there'll be even more in January. But it's just the way it's worked out. I mean, if I had my way, I'd be doing them now, you know, because I'm quite excited about it, and the more you do it, the more it kind of builds up and gets better, you know. But, yeah, it's nice and twisted. It's got its Frankie Boyle-type moments. It's got great clips, and it's got, you know, some confessional stuff in too, so... It's Brilliant. got that 90s cool. vibe. It's like a night out. It's a <laughs> it's a Friday night type show. Yeah, I mean, I was I was the exact target audience, I think. Was it 91 it came out, the word, or was it? No, no, 1990. 90, um, yeah. but, but it, I, I mean, it's a, I mean, you can't over-intellectualise these things. You, you know, you go on feeling. Um, so the, the, I've I'd, I'd done eight years of radio. So I knew that that had worked because, you know, I've won a couple of National Sony Radio Awards for the best specialist music show. So I could bring that knowledge into it. Plus, there were always music magazine shows. So I'd interview guests, even people who'd written books. It was much more Radio 4 than The Word. I can tell you that now. (laughs) In fact, uh, one of the downfalls of The Word was a lack of imagination of the other people who worked on it, you know, where the sort of higher ups because they weren't that experienced. And uh, then, then the people who were coming in knew, who were like, you know, good fun and everything, but they were basically, it was basically a YTS scheme for ex-public schoolboys. It was just, <laughs> it was just really odd to me, you know. That's, that's, diver- that's, that's, yeah, diversity meant, that. you know, yeah. diversity sort of meant Oxford and Cambridge. You know? <laughs> it was I like, mean, it was, yeah, it was really, it was really. How odd. bad was it? I mean, you talk about it a lot in your book as well. I mean, how bad was it? That- well, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I yeah. wasn't a young guy. I was like 29 when I started working with them all. I'm going, what the... And I'd been working in the media since 1981 for the BBC. So I knew all about the Oxbridge thing and the glass ceiling. And, you know, even back in the day, you know, Radio 1, it was all very public school. You know, even John Peel, you know, he got a Millfield public school. But to actually step yeah. in there with all these young people and to think, oh, my God, Rugby, Harrow, Uppingham, Westminster, St. Paul's, Dean. Uh, you know what I mean? It was like, it, it, there was none of it like your minor ones. It was all like your, your big, <laughs> big public schools. Wow. You know, and it, 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 it was quite amusing. It did feel a bit Downton Abbey to me. You know, I, I felt a bit like, even though I had eight years of experience, even if you're like discussing what band you were going to have on that, that week, it'd be like, uh, mm, they'd look at you as if you were the gardener speaking out of turn. You know, going, <laughs> well, I think we should plant the roses uh, this April, a little bit earlier this year, Squire. Oh, so how did you how did you slip through the net and get the gig then? Well, well, because Manchester was hit, wasn't it, for, for like six months? Yeah, so, true. Or, or a yeah. year. And um, it was almost as if, because, I mean, that was a strange thing. You know, if you think about, this is like 1990. Really, those Manchester, sort of, yeah. Well, yeah, but those sort of shows had never really had anybody with a Northern accent presenting them. You get the odd scouser in like Network Seven, you know, like Trevor Ward. That'll be it, <laughs> mm. you know. Outside of a drama series or a stand-up comedian, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't hear a Northern accent on TV. So it, it was, and the same on radio. I mean, one of the reasons I, I actually uh, went for the audition with the word was because I wasn't getting the good radio gigs I thought I deserved. You know, given given my CV, um, and it, and it was kind of. You know, I had I had no nerves about the audition because I thought there's no chance of them giving me this job. You know, not an accent like mine. And and there was a, 
you know, the reality was, I think I got the job because I was from Manchester and I had a Mancunian accent. So, so but obviously they had to balance that up suddenly and find the, the poshest girl they could, you know, to put <laughs> alongside me in Amanda Academy, which is, you know, yeah. a sort of obvious cynicism about it, really. And then they, they threw us both under the bus whenever they could. What do you mean by that? Well, even from the from day one, I mean, when uh, before the word came on air in August 1990, so they looked for a, a female presenter to, to present alongside me, and they'd given me the job in February. But I had mm. to keep hush about it until we started filming in, in May. And even mm. then, I don't think Amanda was taken on until the end of July. And uh, the number of women we we like, uh, audition for it but there was a woman that I'd worked with in Manchester and I kept saying look she's fantastic really funny blah 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 and I just got um Terry sorry about this um Terry we can't have two you know we can't have two people from uh, Manchester <laughs> on the same show you know and I'm going well why well yeah. you know I mean it's just um you know and it was that whole thing at the time all, all the research has shown that audiences particularly in the south didn't like northern accents Wow. And whenever I said, well, surely they'll, they'll get used to me, I, I'd get that kind of slightly quizzical look as if, you know, what if your first taste of curry was a vindaloo? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it was like, a, yeah. so it was one of those. Um, wow. and, and it's a shame. And, th- and then this same woman who I worked with, who had worked with in Manchester, I suggested her for series two, you know, when they, when they took Katie Puckrick on. Um, mm. And they wouldn't even audition her again. And yeah. then series three, you know, they, uh, actually they did audition her for the Big Breakfast. But I always think that Carolina Hearn would have been a great co-host on the Word, don't you? Oh, oh wow, that's who you're talking about. Oh, yes, wow. and they wow. wouldn't even talk to her. Well, well, well because it's just one of those crazy things. They weren't the really fuck? talent spotters. Yeah, don't, don't forget, I've done no. eight years of of yeah. doing my own show and having to find people that were good. You know, every week to me, it was like, I was, I was like Joel Brynner out of the Magnificent Seven trying to find another gunslinger, you know? Wow. So uh, it was by invite only to, to be a contributor to yeah. my radio shows. You know, that won, won the Sony Awards, you know, people like mm. Devin Daly, who, you know, who, who ended up being Trevor Nelson's producer on Radio One for four years. You know, the guys who did, uh, you know, the reggae slot for me, uh, Henry Normal, was my uh, resident poet, you know, who ended up running mm. baby cow pictures and writing the script and directing and producing, um, as well as doing, the, you know, the royal family and everything else, and Mrs. Merton. Mm. He also mm. did uh, Philomena, didn't he? And all the stuff with Steve Coogan. Oh, right. You know, yeah. ba- baby, wow. baby cow. And he, he was from Nottingham, uh, so I was using him when I was at Radio Derby. And then when I met, went to Manchester, he came back in as my resident poet, but then he was really busy doing all the comedy stuff, you know, in Manchester. He, he started the whole of the comedy scene in Manchester up, you know, the modern one that Carolina Hearn, Steve Coogan, you know, Bob Dillinger should have done a lot better, Hovis Presley, all these guys came out of, you know, John Thompson mm-hmm. and then even, you know, even Peter Kay, you know, because that was the first opportunity. That that was when the doors were blown open and there was an actual scene for that in Manchester. And uh Henry did that, and then I replaced him as my resident poet on Key 103 with a guy called Lem Cissé. Whatever happened to him? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Lem, where's he gone now? So it, it was, you know, this is one of my frustrations when it, when it works yeah. on the word. It's like, you know, they, they just didn't listen to it. I used to have better guests um, 
especially towards like series five of the word. I, I, I'd have better guests on a Tuesday night on my show on Key 103 in Manchester than we'd have on a Friday. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? mm. Because they just, there wasn't that, how can I put it? Um, there wasn't that sort of raw knowledge there. And it all became a bit about, oh, look, we've got three, you know, three page, you know, three columns in a paper talking about the show. But I thought, yeah, but they're not talking about anything good about the show. All they're doing mm. is hanging on still about me being thick and my northern accent. You know what mm. I mean? How hopeless whoever the other presenters are. And but the, not, the idea that know. southerners sorry, the idea that southerners doesn't don't like northern accents. I mean, where did that come from? I mean, they must have made that research up. No, no, it, it was kind of it. It was it was some sort of weird. Um, it would show up in research, but it's almost like the way they ask the question, isn't it? Yeah, and they go, "Oh no, I don't." You know, as a rule, I don't. Um, I mean, it was strange because most people from the north, even back in my day, we'd all been down south at some point. You know, whether it was you know watching United or whatever. Um, Southerners, again, outside of being football fans, hadn't really been to the North. Uh, the rave scene kind of changed that a bit, and and probably the Northern Soul scene before that, if you go back to the 70s. But there was mm. like, there wasn't, you know, it, I mean, it's strange how a lot of our phrases are now, are now appearing like Southern speak, you know, like uh, describing an attractive woman as, as fit or an attractive bloke as fit. Because when I went mm. to Polytechnic in London in 1978, I remember like there was a, Saying, "Oh, she's quite fit," and I said, mm-hmm. "Well, I think she, I think she does uh, play a lot of squash, mate, <laughs> <laughs> mate." But again, it came, it came out of that that rave scene. You know, certain phrases got got passed around. You know, so the culture uh, spreads. And so, yeah. I, th- I think it would have really changed more in your era than than in mine. You know, I noticed it. You know, I I noticed London become quite a friendly place. To be fair, um, you know, compared mm. to what it used to be like. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I imagine a lot, a lot less dangerous place. Even though there's a lot of stabbings on there, but I mean, it used to be, it was well rough when I went down there. I used to change buses uh, going from Avril College, where where I stayed in halls of residence in Alton, which is a teacher training college. You know, but I was at Thames Poly in Woolwich, and I used to change buses where Stephen Lawrence got got stabbed. Oof. You know, getting the oh, one two two to Woolwich, and uh, mm. there was an estate the back of Eltonwell Hall that was full of kind of NF British movement types then and Millwall fans. And my best mate at Polly, he was from Wallington in Surrey, and he was half Indian, but had like hair down his backside, you know, like a hippie. So mm. I'd be like quite tense <laughs> with him, and, and lads eyeing him up, and I'd like going. Who are you looking at, mate? Because that was an advantage to being northern back in those days. You, you did sound a bit more aggressive to them than a normal person. Just get on to the words. So, like um, Dave was saying, I think we, me and Dave, we we went to school together. Basically, we've been mates since school. So we were like, um, pretty much. The, I I was thinking we might be too young for the demographic, but from what you said, I think we were the perfect demographic. We were. I was thirteen it, to was eighteen. My Friday basically. night out. I was too young to go out when it started, it, but I was yeah, allowed. Yeah, it yeah. felt naughty. <laughs> and it felt kind yeah, of illicit that we were watching it. And yeah, then yeah, well, by the time we were 15, 16 going out, we would come back from the pub and watch it in, in that spirit as well. So we got like <laughs> both both worlds, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, that was the idea of it because when, when we were coming up for the template of it, uh, I had, a, ra- I had um, a radio show at the time and, and my kind of sidekick, this is a late night radio show, uh, Tentle One, on KFM with Carolina Hearn and Craig Cash, you know, they worked there as well. And my sidekick was John Ronson, 
He did all right mm. as well, didn't he? He did. John Ronson. He did. So if you think about the, the talented people I'd worked with, <laughs> what happened to them when I went on a national telly? <laughs> yeah. um, so so we do sort of quite weird stuff. So one of the things that we did was I, I'd say to John Ronson, I'd play the Mission Impossible music. Remember, he's, he's a cassette <laughs> cassette player. You know, I had it on a cassette. Mission Impossible, you know, all the sort of TV themes. And I'd, mm. I'd like give him something stupid to do. So I'd say, right, John, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go out and find out if there's such a thing as God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then he'd just waffle on. You know, yeah. and, and go, go off at a tangent, but very funny. And then at the end, I say, I'd say, so, John, is there a God? And he go, well, we just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, so obviously, um, Charlie Parsons liked that, but he used it as the gossip strand. But then John Ronson then came back and actually did a show called The Ronson Mission, which is a little bit like uh, what Louis Thoreau did later on. Uh, <laughs> but his first kind of forays into TV and national and writing for national papers was the word because he was auditioned for the word. And then mm. he was the only journalist allowed in to watch the actual pilot show of the word, uh, John Ronson, which he reviewed mm. in the newly formed independent and slagged it off. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> but it was quite funny, you know, because on, on pain of death, he was only allowed to do it because me and this, <laughs> this other girl who knew it, we begged them to let him come on, do him a favor. Blah, blah, blah. He mm. won't say anything negative. It's only a pilot. And he basically said, and he did. <laughs> Quite I mean, like, how, how, how conscious were you that you were kind of shaping young people like us, uh, like a well, identity and their lives and their consciousness? And, you know, Monday morning at school, everyone would be talking about the bands that played well, that, and that, some outrageous well, that, things people did for getting on TV and shit like well, that. Well, that, that, that was the idea, you know, because I remember I was that punk generation. So I was I was in the same class at primary school and then went to secondary school, uh, St. Saint, Bede's Saint in Manchester. There's only four of us from our primary school, which is a big, big Catholic primary school in Old Trafford. John Marr out of Buzzcocks. And I remember mm. him leaving... When I, when uh, around sort of April May time when we we're in the lower six to go with the buscocks full time, uh, and then in my class at St B's was a lad called Chris Nagel who ended up the engineer who uh, kind of worked with you know well worked on unknown pleasures. Mm. He ended up the engineer worked on unknown pleasures. Then became a producer, worked with New Order, but he was basically the one who did all the work for Martin Hannett because Martin Hannett, mm. you know, is famous to produce all the factory stuff was off and yeah. off his head on heroin and not able to do it. So we had Chris Nagel in my class. The year below was uh, Andy Connell out of Swing Out Sister in a certain ratio. Then in our Kev's class was Paul Hanley out of the fall, sorry, in his year. Then in our Tony's year, and he was like seven years older than me, was Rob Gretton. who was the guy who managed uh, New Order and Joy Division and mm. came up with the idea of the Hacienda. He was a real music man at Factory Records. Mm. And then, of course, you had that, just in the area I grew up in, uh, Old Trafford, if you drew a quarter mile radius from my house, you, you would get all the black groups in Manchester, you know, so you get people like MC Busby, you get, uh, you know, Martin Sugar Merchant out of Audio Web, Denise Johnson, uh, Marcel King out of Sweet Sensation. They were the first black British group to get the number one in, char in the charts. You had, mm. um, I mean, you know, Ruthless Rap Assassins, then mm. MC Tunes. Then you also had uh, all the guys out of Easter House, Ivor Perry, you know, replaced um, Johnny Marr in the Smiths originally. The only reason the Smiths split up was 
Morrissey found that he, because Ivor, Ivor Perry was as hard as nails, and Morrissey found that he couldn't kind of boss or get, get Ivor Perry to be very, com, you know, compromising when writing songs. And so he wanted to sack him, but was too scared of him because he only lived across the road in the same council estate as him. So he asked Mike Joyce, you know, he's the big drummer, the strong one, can you go and sack Ivor Perry? And uh, mm-hmm. tell him he's sacked. And Mike Joyce said, I'm not going to tell Ivor Perry that. <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> get me head in. So in the end, he split the Smiths up. Oh, wow. And that was the that was the only way he could get rid of Ivor Perry. But so, we, you know, with John Marr, then uh, Ian Curtis, his grandparents lived two streets away from me uh, on Stamford Street in Old Trafford. And that's where he'd mm-hmm. stay when he was away. I mean, even now, you know, move, moving on, there's loads of people from around that area. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sort mm-hmm. of weird little circle. Circle of You, Moss Side, Old Trafford, Wally Range. You know, I mean, it's just so much stuff. And, and yeah. very diverse stuff, even in the days when it wasn't seen. Uh, you know, I mean, people like Rachel McFarlane, Dan Charlemagne, you know, sang with Moby. Um, mm. And uh, also, in a, and uh, she sang with Goldie and Urban Cookie Collective, The Key to Secret. So that was almost like yeah. a Manchester Black supergroup. And most of them live around our way. But Dan Charlemagne, you know, God rest his soul, was fantastic. And it's weird with the black eyes. They're not. They're often not marketed as being from Manchester. So even people like you know Rachel McFarlane, who's a great mm. kind of gospel style singer, who sang with like Loveland. You know, come on, come on, uh, grab somebody, let the let the music lift you up. They were an all Manchester band, Loveland. Uh, but LMC, Saint of the Clouds Above, got to number one. That was her from sort of you know Levenshulme area, and uh, Lee Monteverdi from Austin, the Lee Monteverdi Collective, LMC. And it, mm. it's like, it doesn't get the recognition because the people mm. who are writing about Manchester aren't from those areas. They're always either from Stockport or from down south. And they come up to Manchester as students and they avoid, they virtually avoid that area. You know, that mm-hmm. they avoid that kind of, they, they say, well, that's not really what I've come up, up here for. And that's why they'd mm. always tell these lies about Manchester being an indie city. It's always been a pop city. Mm. Anyone who sounds Indian, Indian in Manchester, it's almost by accident. Because they're trying to create their own version of pop, um, you know. Smith Smith wanted to be on top of the pops, you know. Yeah. Even the fall, even the fall wanted to be on top of the pops more than Hook Hooknell out of Simply Red. Mm-hmm. Know, that was their that mm-hmm. was their thing. Yeah, you know they wouldn't turn yeah. it down. So it, you know it was interesting, and and we had like in that punk area, we had uh, shows like Revolver with Peter Peter Cook that would be on at six o'clock on a Saturday. And you'd have like mm-hmm. reggae bands like Merger on and Steel Pulse and um, mm-hmm. you know, Blondie, you know, the first TV of Blondie and the Stranglers mm-hmm. and, you know, the 999 and uh, all <laughs> stuff like that. And then, of course, we mm-hmm. had Tony Wilson doing So It Goes. He went out at different times across all the ITV regions. Uh, Sunday night in, in uh, Granada at about half ten. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. Ian Jury and the Blockheads, Elvis Costello, uh, The Clash, at the mm. Electric Circus, the Sex Pistols, um, you know, Steel Pulse again, the first time, you know, I ever saw them on the TV and then went to see them a week later mm. at Manchester Poly. You know, probably the greatest British reggae band ever. They were all from Hansworth in Birmingham. Um, so I wanted to create that vibe and that excitement that you're going to see mm. something new and different on this show, you know, in terms of music. And that's mm. why a lot of the arguments on the show behind the scenes were always about music. You know, it was right. kind of, well, this is what we've got to get on. Why have we got mm. this shit on? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there was, there was a phase where there wasn't that much around, but it was it was that they, they thought they were on a hip show now so that they could make it hipper 
And I go, mate, you've got to understand this. So, well, it, well it's, it's a new scene in London. I go, listen, if you get 400 people dancing to a certain type of music in London on a Thursday night, it's called a scene. If you get 400 <laughs> types of people dancing to a certain sort of music in Manchester, it's called a night out. It doesn't, you know, it, it's all yeah, made up. Yeah. You know, so we had this whole acid jazz thing, you know, where it's like, you know, bands like Corduroy and um, mm. Mother Earth and that. And it wasn't that they were bad, but it was just never going to take off. There's a load yeah. of white lads with, with goatee beards wearing Frank Spencer berets playing old 70s funk. Do you know what I mean? Now, I know what old 70s funk sounds like, and it sounded better than them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, so, and it wasn't a scene. It wasn't anything that created some massive excitement outside of London. And it was just their, yeah. their desperation to be hip, you know, or yeah. new wave of new wave. And a lot of that was based on uh, this thing where London hadn't really had a kind of organic scene since punk in 76. Mm. So there was that desperation again, you know, because, you know, they'd always try and invent scenes like Rare Groove, you know, where the records were, were neither rare. Well, they certainly weren't <laughs> that rare. You know what I mean? Very few of the yeah. records on the Rare Groove scene would have cost you over a tenner. And um, mm -hmm. and again, and the, and the big tunes in that Rare Groove scene were always played at nights out anyway, you know, whether it was the Jackson mm -hmm. Sisters, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so it, so it, was, it was interesting to go in go into that and say, it's not about being hip. Or trendy. It's about just getting good stuff out, and it's not even one about thing. Trendy. One thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is kind of the, the push and pull between the the UK and the US kind of bands at the time. And it seemed the word got quite a good balance between kind of American bands and UK bands. Was that was that a deliberate thing that you did? Oh yeah, yeah. Because all all your influences, even growing up in Manchester, were like American. You know, yeah. in the punk era, we like the Sex Pistols, we like the Clash, we like Buzzcocks. Really, forget it after that for like you know, British yeah. bands. After that, it was all yeah. the American bands that were like you know, like talking heads and uh, mm. you know, the sort of same with you know, with, with soul music, funk music. I mean, Manchester was built on soul music, you know, the phrase Northern Soul was invented mm. about the, the tunes that were played at the uh, Twisted Wheel by a bloke from uh, Deptford, funnily enough, Dave Godin, as a political statement, really. And he did mm. it to stop the hush puppied mafia you know, in London from trying to define what the scene was and take it over. Because he thought, well, if I call it Northern Soul, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, which just meant rare soul, it was yeah. it, it was just, a, you know, anything with a 4-4 four, four beat or higher. If I call it Northern Soul, the minute they go in to try and take it over, they'll be eyed with suspicion. Mm. Puppies, you know what I mean? <laughs> Coming from down south up here. And it's because a lot of the clubs in uh, the Midlands and the North didn't, you know, still stayed true to that soul stuff because people wanted to dance and take drugs and stay up, stay up all night. You know, for eight hours, so it kept moving mm. around. I mean, it, I mean, it was still popular in London. You know, the Hundred Club and all along that south coast, like Brighton and you know, play, weird places like Cornwall, Devon. You know, these are all big, you know, big homes for like you know, rare soul. The mod scene was a continuity mm. of that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it was it was to have that vibe, to have that raw music knowledge out there. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. We, I wanted us to do something on Northern Soul on the word, and I kept pushing and pushing for it, you know, just to film it an all-nighter, to see these characters, you know, mm. like, it was like a real organic scene. And uh, I remember Barbara Aitken was playing at Ashton Underline in Manchester, a big, like, Northern Soul with Barbara Aitken, who did a, the original Am I the Same Girl and loads of other stuff, you know, sort of almost semi-hits, and they wouldn't do it. Mm. And yet, when, when they did decide to do a piece on Northern Soul, they sent Danny Bear up to Blackpool to interview a butcher who collected records. 
<laughs> Which it's wasn't so used in the yeah. end. But it's kind of done. Well, it was, it was it's, it's an eternal frustration of mine, you know, the missed the missed opportunities because of the lack of imagination and yeah, and, and yeah. kind of trying to second guess the audience too much because the idea is you get something interesting and make it more interesting. When often what we were doing was getting something that was quite boring and trying to make it seem really outrageous and interesting when it actually wasn't that. You know, they, mm. they, they do these shoots and try and create these false middle. Uh, beginning, middle, and ends, you know, and you go, oh, you know, here's a bloke, you know, I remember sending Katie out to interview Jeff Stryker, and the only, what what was interesting about him, he's got a massive cock, that's it, <laughs> and he's just gone, this next bloke's got a massive cock, there you go, there's a picture of him, let's move on. That was basically my introduction on the night. There you go, that's all you need to know. For us, though, the, especially like the American bands, it seemed pretty exciting for us because there's no other way to to see them except for you know reading about them in the NME. So to have them like beam oh, oh, directly oh, into our rooms, it seemed. Oh, would they not have played exciting. in the area where you grew up in? I mean, not really. We were we were in Brighton, well along the coast from Brighton. Um, no, there weren't that many like American bands you could go and see. No, no we were like you'd fourteen. Have to go to Wembley, you know? Ah, oh, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, you mean as so, up and coming? Yeah, yeah, they especially like the up and coming bands like Dinosaur Junior, like Rage Against the Machine and stuff. It just yeah, seemed well, like Nav- so Nirvana. Exciting. Nirvana well, played yeah. about about a year before at uh, Manchester Poly, at mm. the old Polytechnic. <laughs> you know what I mean? So those kind of notorious those those kind of performances have almost kind of passed into folklore and legend now, right? You know, <laughs> like Kurt, you know, declaring Courtney the best fuck in the world and all of that, and Oasis's debut, whatever, you know. Neds and Oliver Reed, they're kind of almost part of like the fabric of kind of folklore of indie music. Well, for for nerds like me, I mean, well, we had Neds, you... Neds Atomic Dustbin on a couple of yeah. times, so they just didn't, didn't just do the uh, Oliver Reed thing. Are they called Spares now? Oh, are they? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, they, I think... they, they, a couple of them are in a band called Spares. Okay, uh, well, so, so we'll so speak had... to them soon. So maybe, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, although they might be coming back as Neds Atomic Dustbin, uh, but yeah, so. Any, anything that was going on, you know, like... But did you feel like you were witnessing and... these, like, little pieces of history or did it just feel like another... Not really. Another I, it, it was basically to try, and, to try and not miss out on anything that was good. And, mm. uh, you know, and, and, so, and, and, and across all genres, if we could. You know, well, and, yeah, I mean, that was, that was going to say about that. Yeah, because you had, like, indie bands, but you had, like, Sepultura and you had Tricky and, like, um, Cypress Hill and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, we'd have one black black band on every week, and that was oh, wow. something. Because that was a deliberate well, well, strategy. Well, 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 that was that was that was my thing because I'd always, yeah, I'd always done shows where at least a third of the music was black music. I managed a reggae band back in the eighties. I grew up on a street where you were basically Irish descent and Jamaican, so it was coming mm. through my walls, you know, from being a kid. And mm. uh, and then all our older brothers were into what were called rarities and then became known as Northern Soul. Mm. You know, so they were all soul heads. When you went to the local youth clubs, it would always be soul, unless you went to the hideaway in uh, Moss Side when it was all like reggae and heavy dub and stuff like that. So, yeah, we, we grew up with that. And what I remember is like you wouldn't go in each other's houses, you know, in those sort of working class areas much. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You were only allowed in the hall. You never went in a, in a living room until you were in your teens or whatever yeah. but it was quite funny you, you go in the hallway you know if it was raining outside and play play topsies you know with like football cards or batman cards you know on the lino 
you know, sort of the, the oil cloth, you know, because that'd be polished and stuff. Yeah. But I can remember, uh, you know, if, if you're in like any black mates' houses and one in particular where they get so excited when one black came and they get they'd get called into the living room. You'd be left in the you'd be left in the hall with your Batman cards. Well, they rushed into the living room because you know Kenny Lynch was on the Valdunican show. You know what right. I mean? That yeah. just the excitement of seeing somebody who looked like them. And obviously, it's not a hardship to say, right, we have at least one black band on a week. Uh, no. the, the weirdest one was when one week we couldn't we couldn't they couldn't come up with anybody. And I said, well, what about what about Living Colour? And it's not mm. really my kind of, you know, that sort of rock thing, because I'm a yeah. punk. We were proper musical fascists. Anything mm. that existed, twanging guitars before 76, we would not allow ourselves to even consider <laughs> music. Mm. You know, we, we weren't listening to Black Sabbath or Led Zepp. Forget that. And yeah. um, so so I, I suggested them, and they were doing really well. I think the lead singer was only like 23, you know, all black mm. rock band from New York or whatever. And I remember, like, one of the producers going, yeah, but Terry, they're not, not really black enough, are they? And I said, well, what colour oh, are they? What colour are they? Well, no, no, yeah. but he's like one of them. And I said, well, what colour are they? Because, you know, the, the whole point to me was yeah. the, the fact they've got brown skin. You know what right. I mean? People like, can see people just, that look like them, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter about the genre. And then yeah. and then he went, well, well, um, um, they're not they're not urban enough. <laughs> to which, I, and I haven't done me neuro-linguistic programming then, you know, I've had therapy, yeah. to which I replied, mate, you're about as urban as a second home in Tuscany. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I was, I didn't make myself very popular, I have to say, you know, yeah. down the line. <laughs> well, there was also, there's also a really good gender balance as well. You know, you had like Veruca Salt, Huggy Bear, one of my favourite performances, um, yeah, throwing I mean, music. I mean, Again, was that a deliberate thing? Well, well, yeah. I mean, when you called, you, you know, and then we'd have we have Belly on, didn't we, with uh, Tanya yeah. Donnelly, who'd been in. Yeah, uh, yeah. she'd been in throwing muses as well, hadn't she? Yeah, yeah. Tanya Donnelly, yeah, yeah. So, and the, and I think we had Kristen Hirsch as well as a solo artist too later on. Um, mm. Huggy Bear was a weird one because that was mm. uh, in that little pocket of one and a half series when. Uh, when Joe Wiley was on the show and I'd got the mm. job because I hated the guy who was the music booker of our first series. And I'd worked with Joe <laughs> on a radio four show. And I knew that she was into kind of indie stuff and all the rest of it. Mm. But Huggy Bear only got on because um, mm. I think two of the girls lived with, uh, is it you Everett? The guy who was the assistant editor of the Melody Maker. So uh, they had something been... Everett. Yeah. 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 So they hadn't yeah. actually mm. done much. They were massively hyped. They were getting free, you know, front covers. When they, mm. I think, I think even that her jazz only sold about three thousand copies. And then they had yeah. their sort of, then they had their stage middle class riot, didn't they, in the studio <laughs> <laughs> with some bloke, you know, shouting at me, and I'm going, mate, you want, you want, you want to sort your drummer in that band out? <laughs> He's dragging about <laughs> half a yard behind everyone else. I mean, I didn't think they were a great performance. You know, it was a bit too staged. And it was oh, really? That's interesting. We, yeah. We, we, we went through uh, a phase, I think, of of like allowing the and, – and, and I think it was – I think Joe felt a responsibility because I, I remember saying to Joe, I said, forget the enemy. Let them follow us. Mm. We, you know, we, we, we can get in there before them. You know, they've yeah. written a little article because I remember, you know, even with bands like the Stone Roses, they didn't even get a proper piece in the NME until mm. after they played the Empress Ballroom in Blackpool. 
Do you know what I mean? Just until kind of the Spike Island era, even though they'd have a, an album that had gone mm. straight in the, you know, the top 40, you know, so the music press often push stuff that isn't that good because they want they, to, yeah. they want to bathe in the reflected glow of glory. So, oh, well, but, we wrote about them. If they don't write about them, they become big. They hate them. Right, right, because they weren't there for... Well, the word was so was just just ridiculously good at that, right? Oasis, Nirvana, you could, the list goes on of people... Yeah, but it wasn't easy. TV it was... I mean, you've got to remember, <laughs> I'd, I'd won two National Sony Awards working yeah. in radio for yeah. eight years, doing yeah. that, playing demo tapes, yeah. you know, playing, yeah, playing yeah, music yeah. across every genre, you know, reggae, hip-hop, house, all of it early adopters of it all, you know, because of the people that I had contributing coming on the show. Yeah. I, di- I didn't go on the mic and do it. I said, right, Devin, what have you got this week? He said, oh, we've got a you know, brand new one from Slave. And then there's this new stuff coming out of New York at the moment called Garage. You know what I mean? Mm. And, then, and then he'd explain what it was because he was active on the jazz funk all day scene. And likewise, mm. I had like the culture sound system from Derby and they'd be black buying all the reggae pre's. So they knew what, mm. you know, what the big tunes were, the different styles that were coming in from the dance hall. So I'd learn all of that. So then to come onto the word and even mm. have to argue for eight weeks to get Oasis on, I used to find oh, wow. it quite oh, really? tiresome. I found it quite tiresome. Why and, didn't and they want to get Oasis on? Because we already had a band from Manchester called the Caliphs booked on. Fuck so sake. I had that one again. I mean, Terry, you can't have two bands from Manchester on the same show. No, you know I mean, it's no. like, well, so you wouldn't have two bands from London on the same show. Well, that's different. I said, yeah, you've not had a music scene since punk. There's <sighs> nothing that's come so, out of London. So they could have been on two months earlier? Is that, is that what no, you're saying? No, 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 no. We, we had to wait for the first single. And in fact, one of the oh, okay. things was, was when Supersonic came out. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't actually officially released for another two, three, two or three weeks after we had them on. We, we got them on on the very last show of Series 4. Uh, okay. And the other band with the Caliphs, uh, they'd been signed for quite a lot of a lot of money, and they were like, mm. a, you know, an all, all Asian lads, all Pakistani descent lads from Manchester. Mm. Uh, Rolling with the Cleeker, I think, is the track that they did. But they they were tipped to to go for big things, um, mm. but never quite happened. And we we only ended up getting Oasis on. I actually got Nolan Liam to come down to either our music booker and have him pressed up in a corner. I said, right, you know, because they, they were rehearsing in London. I said, right. <laughs> Well, well, because I mean, I was under a lot of pressure because my my ex missus, mother of my kids, she worked to Aces. She also broke the Stone Roses. She was one of the oh, wow. top plug- promoters of records for radio and TV in the country. Uh, she was mm. from Preston, and uh, mm. so and Louise Jones, who was Noel Gallagher's living girlfriend, mm. you know, at, at India House, worked for her. And then also she worked all the mute stuff. So of course she worked in Spiral Carpets when Noel was, you know, Noel was the uh, roadie for them. So I was under a lot of domestic pressure to get them on anyway. But oh, mm. it was unbelievable. Uh, the band that that they never put on because they were too busy with the Mother Earths and the the uh, you know the corduroys and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff <laughs> was uh, the Cranberries. Oh wow! With okay. Linger. So yeah. we missed out on the Cranberries with Linger. And uh, I remember when we had the 20th anniversary of the word, uh, the the guy had been the music booker at the time. He said, have you got any regrets? He said, yes, not booking the cranberries. And I went, yeah, well, you were just, you were just being arseholes. (laughs) It was like, because I wanted on. No, but that was the reality. That was all it was. It was the Downton Abbey thing. We can't have you dictating to us. You know, that councillor said, and and there was a touch of that all the time. You know what I mean? And and Mm. it is weird, like, how you get written out the music side of a show like that. And yet my mm. whole background was that. But my mm. first press release for The Word 
that was the official one, they'd left all of that out. So mm. they'd left out the fact that I'd done eight years of radio and won these Sony Awards and managed bands mm. and managed nightclubs and all the rest New of it. Shit. Then, yeah. yeah, they put X DJ and sheet metal worker. I was never a sheet metal worker. <laughs> I'd never done a normal job. But but they did say, is, is there not one thing you've done, Terry, that isn't to do with the media? You know, and I've been working in the media since I was 21. And you went... weren't working class enough in your well, job? Well, no, it, that... it wasn't that. Well, you see, this I just thought they got it wrong. I said, well, I said, I did three weeks' work to pay off a gas bill once uh, in the sort of summer of 1988 when I was in between jobs. And I had quite a big gas bill. Bloody hell, can you imagine it now? I'd be working till next year. And uh, <laughs> so I worked at the Dormer warehouse in Salford, picking sheets off a line, you know, sheets and curtains off a line to fill orders. And they turned that into an ex-sheet metal worker. But obviously what it was... <laughs> Close was, enough. ...was the, the people running the word, now when you look back on it, They'd never been involved in anything successful in the past because the word got the slot for Club X. It was the working title was Club X Two, so I'd given them the title off the evening news page I'd done, which was called the Word, where you covered up and coming bands from the Manchester area, you know, and what gigs were on, and you know, reviewed demo tapes. They, I'd, I'd suggested that as the name of the show for cynical motives, and then of course, if the show was a success, they'd go. Oh, that guy, he's been quite successful in his past anyway. No wonder he's turned it round mm. for Charlie Parsons mm. and co. But by saying I've done nothing, they mm. could say they could just say, oh, yeah, we got this weird bloke from the north, stuck it, everyone hated him, but the show was a, was a success despite him. Mm. And there was a touch mm. of that about it. So mm. I never got, I never got a, a kind of write-up about any other stuff I'd actually done. That was interesting. Yeah. I got a yeah. reggae band signed by a major label in the mid-80s. Mm. That's a gold medal. That's like <laughs> managing a band getting to number one because mm. of the racism in the, in the, in the system. And it, I remember that we got signed by a cool tempo, Chrysalis. And mm. when our second single came out, the first single got C-listed on Radio 1 and on Capital Radio. And But they only pressed up like 5,000 copies of it. So it couldn't even, didn't even sell enough to get in the top 75. When the second single mm. came out, we got offered the UB40 support tour for the UK, you know, Barrowlands in Glasgow, Birmingham, NEC, Wembley in London, and it was mm. a 10,000 quid buy-on, which is nothing, and they wouldn't give it us. And yet oh, they'd wow. spent... Yeah, I found out of Kevin Godley, you know, ex-10CC, ex Manchester lad, mm. I found out that he'd, he'd been able to spend 12,000 quid just to get one of the guys out of Gold West's teeth straightened for the video <laughs> now, now there, there's a culture gap, isn't priorities there? Yeah, yeah but you know yeah, what, yeah. what your market between what 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 gets spent on a black artist and a white artist and i hate go west to this day i didn't <laughs> i didn't rate them anyway you know what i mean yeah. um did you ever get to go out on the piss with any of the bands after recording or anything like that was that was that a I thing I, well, I mean, really, uh, I, I was actually out last week with uh, Sean and Bez at the Pride of Manchester really? Awards, sitting on a table with with them two and Peter Hook. Uh, and I remember, like, thinking, I, I, I took my lad, you know, because I, I'm kind of sad and single in my old age. But so I took my oldest lad, who's 25, and uh, <laughs> and I got this photo of him with like Sean and Bez. They were all on our table and Peter Hook, and I just thought, God, this table would have been carnage 30 years ago. But <laughs> you know, now it's not it. But I mean, obviously, be, you know, because I knew all the guys in the bands in Manchester, and mm. 
you know, so we'd always have a drink after the word because it, the How word about the other bands that came over, like the American bands and stuff. Did they? Well, well did again, they, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, you'd, you'd speak to them and stuff, you know, throughout the day, mm. but but they wouldn't always they wouldn't always hang around because they weren't they didn't tend to be drinkers, and they'd always have you know they'd be over here and like be doing a gig every single night. So right. the American bands had had a proper work ethic because they were all they weren't already established. So mm. their mm. their their thingy was like gig 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 gig. There was no time for hanging around. I mean, you know, you see him mm. in the day and chat to him in the day, but it's like, you know, who, you who was the like uh, who was the nicest, the nicest guest out of a musical guest? Um, I don't, I don't know, really. I mean, most of them were all right. I can't I can't really <laughs> think, you know, because, again, the, the music guests were, were busy, you know, kind of rehearsing right. and this that, and the other, you know what I mean? And just yeah. then they they'd sort of hide in the, the dressing room or else. Actually, funny enough, Nirvana did hang around a lot in the canteen because mm. uh, on the show with them was a band from Manchester called Interstellar, and yeah, in some ways they were, yeah. they, they, well, they were a bit unlucky because I think maybe if they'd have come on with their next single, it would have been a better one. Mm. And, and I can't, you know, yeah, you know, if they'd have come on doing a Dream Some Paradise or something like that, it would have been much catchier. Would have been a better tune. I think we got them on mm. too soon. Mm-hmm. And what and what happened was when they arrived, uh, like a runner went to meet him and, he, and went, are you Nirvana? <laughs> and he said, yeah, just joking. And they got and they got taken to Nirvana's dressing room and they were very much <laughs> on the up and up. So they had all like sushi, didn't they? And, you know, you know, all like posh stuff and a big flash dressing room. So they tucked into it all. So Nirvana were like, <laughs> like uh, spent a lot of the day in the canteen at Limehouse in Wembley, you know, drinking cups of coffee and, uh, you know, moaning that someone had ate all their sandwiches and <laughs> their sushi. Not very rock and roll, is it? I, I remember no. talking to, I remember talking to, uh, what is it? Is it Danuta? Danita out of uh, L7. Uh, Donita, Donita Sparks, Donita, yeah. Donita, 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 yeah. Because she stuck around and was having, was having a mm. drink and everything. But she thought she'd done something amazing. And I was going, mate, this, that sort of crap happens on this show every week. <laughs> <laughs> I was dropping her trousers, yeah. yeah. I mean, We've all seen one of them before. Moment, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I mean, That's again, if you're, if you're a kid, I mean, it was kind of... Oh, um, it's it, great. <laughs> I mean, I, t- I talk about it. I, I did uh, the James O'Brien podcast, full disclosure. Mm. And, I, and I was saying I was sort of so damaged in a way growing up that I, I was all, I was unshockable anyway. <laughs> it was like people say, weren't you shocked when this happened? And I go, mate, I saw someone get stabbed when I was 11. <laughs> you know? yeah. I've seen yeah. so many horrible things. You know, that someone dropping the kecks or saying that blah, blah, blah is the best book in the world is not going to horrify me anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, biggest biggest twat? Who was the biggest twat? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to come and see me show for that kind of okay, thing. Oh, well, go, don't give it away. Don't give it away. All right, all right, all right. That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, can, I, can I ask about a couple of my, my own personal favourite performances? Yeah, of course. Which I yeah, remember yeah, of course, as yeah. if they happened like yesterday. Yeah. Um, the first one I thought of when I knew I was going to be interviewed was um, the the Manix Manix Street Preachers doing um, yeah. doing repeat just just Nikki and Richie look, just looking beautiful and just right you know fuck queen and country it seemed like subversive to my 14 year old brain you know here and yeah well well 
they would have seemed subversive to your 13-year-old brain or maybe even your 12-year-old brain had we got them on at the right time. And they're the reason right. why we parted ways with the uh, first produced, uh, music producer on the word, a guy called Tim Byrne, who went on okay. rightly. Actually, he was a lead slap. But he went on rightly to manage uh, Steps and A1 and be big buddies buddies with Simon Cowell. And that was a level. And and he was trying to be very patch protective and didn't want certain Mm. groups on. So, and I remember even when we were interviewing the Happy Mondays in uh, LA and he was there, you know, because he had to overlook it as a music. And he was saying, Listen, and they want they were insisting they wanted to be <laughs> in, interviewed on the on this beach, Zuma Beach, out in Irving County, which is about a 45 mile uh, 45 minute drive away, rather than in the studio, because they wanted to get out of the studio and I'm gonna have smoke a few spliffs on the beach. And he was going, Listen, if you don't do it, we won't be having them on the show. And I just said to Nathan, I said, Fuck him, he won't be say he won't have a say in that. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? He won't be having a say in that. We will be having him on the show, you know, and mm. we did do him on the beach. But um uh, I wanted to get Manic Street Preachers on doing Motown Junk. Mm. And he told me, he told me they weren't available. And I thought, mm, listen, we, <sighs> we 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 were quite a big show by then, you know, it was like halfway through series one. You know, we'd we'd move to eleven o'clock at night. We were having guests like Whitney Houston on live and stuff. And he forgot that my ex-missus, my then girlfriend, was one of the top pluggers to radio and TV in the mm. country. So she knew everyone. So I rang her and I said, mm. oh, God, you know, I want to get Manic Street Peaches on with doing do Motown uh, junk, but, you know, he said they're not available. I said, but I don't trust him. So she went and rang their record company and the manager because, oh, they'd love to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I exposed him, and he would. So he there got the go. book at the end of that series. So that's the Manic Street Preachers story. That's a great one for me. Um, another one was Censor, and we had Haytham on on the podcast recently. Um, but just seeing this guy with a shaved head and his top off, it's kind of mixed heritage British guy. Yeah, yeah. And like all the boy girl vocals and this, the different sounds, it was it's pretty thrilling. As again, just to my my well, teenage well, I mean, brain, I mean, you know. I mean, I mean, again, if 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 there was a buzz about someone or they were doing like really good gigs, we'd get them on. And some, you, you know, mm. there, there was that weird things. I remember us having Buffalo Tom on, and it was mm. like we just we just didn't have another band that week. And Joe Wiley just said, "Should we get have them on or them?" And I went, "Them." She said, "Why?" I said, "Well, I like mm. the record, you know, Treehouse." Mm. So they came on doing that, and then uh, when we'd have, you know, even bands like Mega City Four on, um, yeah. Teenage Fan Club, you know, and they were on the same show. And I'll never forget, like, uh, the Melody Maker and the NME both came down that night and they were interviewing Mega City 4 about me. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, how can you stand to go on a show with him? <laughs> like, I'd done anything, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just this, you know, it was it was weird. It was kind of a, a complete sort of misportrayal. And and then they were going, then, then they were going uh, we, we said to Terry, why'd you get Mega City 4 on? He said, well, he said, well I don't know. I thought they might be quite good. Uh, I said, and and then we asked him, "Who's the other band on?" I said, and he said, uh, well, "Some Scottish band I've never heard of." Mm. Right, so I'd never heard a Teenage Fan Club. His album wow. been album of the week on my uh, radio show about six months earlier, but it was <laughs> that kind of that kind of snideness you'd always get. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think the other other kind of uh, guitar bands. I mean, obviously Rage Against the Machine, but I wasn't there. Yeah. That oh, really? Was, uh, okay, that was Mark Lamar doing it. I was away doing an outside broadcast. Um, Were you there for the lemon for the lemonheads? Uh, oh, that was yeah, another yeah. memorable one for me. Well, well, doing well, Mrs. We, Robinson. We, well, we went to see him doing a, a lunchtime gig that day at uh, Ronnie okay. Scott's. Mm. So they did like a showcase gig. Uh, funny enough, um, 
Evan Dando ended up going out for a little while with uh, Noel Gallagher's ex, Louise Jones, in Manchester. Is that right? Hanging out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, the Lemonheads. I mean, they ended up being sort of sort of five-minute wonders, really, and yet they were supposed to be really big forever, weren't they? Not, not in my brain. They're, they're still there. For, they're still there for me. Yeah, yeah. But um, do you know what I mean? It was like that. Yeah, they, they were yeah. so huge at the time. Um, yeah, the Lemonheads, Evan Dando, and then we, we'd have. Um, I think we had gar. Did we have garbage on? Uh, oh, we I'm had, sure. lot, of, we had okay. a lot of bands on early, you know. So we had like Reef on. I mean, we even had Ocean mm. Colour Scene on 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 one of the very first uh, shows. All oh, right, that's early for them. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Since uh, Back to the Planet, we had a lot of those oh, kind of uh, Back to the Planet. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know those sort of convoy type bands, and then I was bumping yeah. into all the all the guys of the local dropouts from from uh, Thames Poly when I was a kid. You know, we had things like Back to the Planet, and uh, I'm trying to think what's. Another similar sort of band that we had on at the time. And it was quite funny, you know, you bump into these guys that you knew from, you know what I mean, smoking weed when you were like 18, 19 <laughs> in southeast London. Yeah. You know, that, um, that was their that was their tip. Yeah. The other one I remember is yeah, I mentioned it before, but Cypress Hill was a big one for me. I guess like Send Dog with his bucket hat pulled right down. Yeah, just, in, uh, insane in his, the brain. This, yeah, it's just so good. Every indie kid had that Black Sunday album, right? For some reason. Well, 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 it was, I mean, again, it, it was one of those weird things. I remember Tony Wilson, you know, in the factory era, talking about indie dance crossover. And I was like looking mm. at him going, mate, you know, <laughs> there was there was only ever two sort, two genres of music, good and bad. So, you know, yeah. we were Buzzcocks fans, but we loved Earth, Wind and Fire. You know, we loved yeah. Bob Marley. We loved, you know, we loved Dennis Brown. We loved, like, you know, all sorts of stuff. You know, we liked Lou Reed at the time. You know, I, I mean, I still love Lou Reed, but it's kind of... One of those, you know, it the the, the genre thing doesn't happen in city centres really because you hear so much stuff, you know, you know, and you borrow records off your mates and they they want mm. you to know it's good. I mean, funnily enough, our Tony was in the same uh, you know year as uh, Rob Gretton out of uh, you know managing mm. New Order and thing, mm. and Gretton was a bit of a northern soul lad, but the but the albums he lent our Tony were like Captain Beefheart and King Crimson. Mm. <laughs> bit much yeah. doesn't sound good in a mono dance set does it no no i dare say so. um, well, we'll, we'll let you go soon um it's been I can't believe it's gone that quickly um i just wanted to ask um you're pretty active on twitter uh these days um you're pretty vocal in your criticism of uh the government and everything i mean what's what's your take on on all of that i mean I mean, really, I, I I should be getting on with all the work. It's a bit like doodling in the margin. I get sucked, you know, I mean, I've had therapy. I get sucked into it. I'm easily triggered, you know. I'm the fourth of six kids, big Irish family. You know, I'd walk a mile for a decent argument. So things like, and I love annoying people as well, which is a terrible trait. <laughs> I do love to wind them up. I mean, that's that's something I did on Damon Albin out of, uh, you know, out, out of Blur, you know, many years later. I, yeah. I, I went up to him and said, Listen, I've, I'm 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 probably your biggest fan, you know, because we had blur on the word like three times, you know, and they did yeah. girls and boys way before mm. it came out on the word. And I went, oh, look, you know, I, you know, common people's my favourite ever song. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite song of yours is Common People. Just a bit. I was drunk. What can I do? You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, you know, I mean, we, we had quite good fun, but it was uh, intense. But there were always great parties after the word. So when the word finished, we had a proper after-show party where the bar would be almost like half three in the morning, and mm. you know what I mean. And people would get messy in there. It was quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I guess that doesn't happen these days, eh? Yeah, I mean, not not that many fights. You get the odd punch up would happen, but yeah, good. 
you know? Do you think that kind of sepulture, yeah, man, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Do you think that kind of anarchic TV would happen again? Do you think? I I, I did want to control it. I mean, one of the strange things about the word is they've tried to recreate it so many times, but obviously I bought a certain ingredient into it because I bought eight years of experience. And so Mm. I would take chances you know, mm. where I, I wouldn't mind looking bad because I think, well, it's a show. That's the nature of the show. And to make this pile of crap work where you've got someone eating a worm butty, I, I hated that <laughs> strand, by the way. You know, I said, but, you know, you, you've got yeah. to kind of not take it too seriously. And really, you know, the appeal to, like, anyone mm. young watching it is the idea of a night out. It's not about yeah. trying to be cool or trendy. Well, I mean, uh, I've, All right, I've, we're going to let I'm you go, Terry. You've been, all right, been more than that. generous with your time. Um, is there anything <laughs> no, you want no to say problem. to the listeners? Anything you want to Co- Come and watch the stand-up for? gig. Come and watch the stand-up gig with all your, gonna be... some of your favourite clips in the word. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, it's on a big screen. So we're, we're taking it everywhere. All right, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, um, cheers, we'll you know when it comes out. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thank you. All right, see you. Bye. So there we go, Terry Christian of The Word. And not just The Word, but Terry Christian. Um, I wasn't actually involved in the interview, but good job, as always, lads. It's a good interview. I didn't realise there was obviously some tension between Terry Christian and the producers on which bands to book. And I think he wanted a, more of a say in it than he actually seemed to get in the in the end. And I think it, it sounded like he got a bit. I which think is it's a shame. Like, right from the beginning, not yeah. just at the end. I found that really interesting. So, like when I asked him, like you know, you had all these people on super early, and you know, he was like, "Well, well, yeah, that's that's what I do." You know, he spent mm. the last eight years on the radio doing this kind of show, getting up and coming bands. And he won two Sony awards for it. You know, it wasn't yeah, a coincidence it, that they got these bands in early. That's what he was good at. That's, that's what his yeah, thing and it was, sounds, you know? It sounds like he didn't really get a lot of the credit for that. He was just this and presenter he, that a lot of people, not to say didn't like, but I think he got quite a bit of bad press back at the time. And yeah, it doesn't seem like it was really his fault. It was more sort of he was thrown into this show that he wanted to go in a, in a different direction. Well, he said, right? like, he gave two examples. Like, he gave the example of the Manics. He said they, they should have had them on much, much earlier, and they kind of kind of lied to him and fought against it. And he said he, he was trying to get, like, Oasis on, like, six weeks before even for that. But, well, one, they didn't have the record out, and then, the, you know, the producers were kind of fighting against him. So, yeah, yeah, he, he was, you know, he seemed to be really good at, at that. At that. That's, that's his thing, you know, picking up on bands early, which is great. I'm obviously biased now because we spoke to him, but I do tend to side with him, and I can believe that, you know, he had skill and actually earned that job. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of those others just slipped into those jobs, didn't they? Yeah, because I I forgot to mention before before the interview, um, the guy who, who came up with the word, it was the same guy that did the big breakfast which I didn't realise. <clears throat> when you've got a producer that's interested in, obviously they've got to be interested in viewing figures, blah, 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 blah. And you've got someone else who's fiercely passionate about music and obviously knows much more about music than the than the producers do, then there's going to be a little bit of friction, right? And I guess the producers, it, to them, it wasn't just a music show, was it? It was an entertainment no. show. You know, they yeah. would go, they would dredge the bottom of the barrel for <laughs> for entertainment for, for ratings 
Yeah. Yeah, I think they were just lucky that they had Terry Christian, to be honest, because the words become synonymous with those bands, right, and mm. those performances, um, which they probably wouldn't have had without Terry Christian. So That's right. You know. Yeah, I thought it's so interesting that he said, you know, he made sure there was at least one black act on every week. Yeah, was, yeah, it was really sort that of... That was really interesting, and it was a deliberate, deliberate thing by him, and yeah. the, you know, the gender balance and stuff. Uh, was That was really... I hadn't even thought about that. It was really interesting. I go back to the whole interview thing. I think the interviews was, were kind of thrown together by the production company, and it, it kind of... I don't think the interviews got much respect because... Th- it was more about the actual bands that were on the show that that people watched it. The interviews were like a an afterthought sort of thing. Or or they would try to do something clever and funny, you know, instead of like actually sitting down and like getting a decent interview out of them, they tried to be like smug and fucking. Yeah, but I think they got. I think the Terry Christian got a lot of the flack for that, where it, it's obviously just a, a choice by the production company to have these mm. slapdash interviews. I think. I, I thought they were good. You know, it's a long time ago, but he, I thought he he did a good job. I mean, he talked about it a lot, but I think there definitely was a lot of class bias uh, in the media. There still is, of course. Oh, yeah, that, is, that then, is an interesting it was like part. Even worse, the idea that you can't have two people with a Manchester accent on. You know. I'd forgotten about that in the interview. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, so the the word the production company um, was just full of. What most production companies are full of, I guess, just sort of white middle class men. Not even middle class, like proper like public school boys. I mean, going off on a bit of a tangent, but the guy who ran Fantasia, the the rave company, was like a posh schoolboy. It might be it's either Fantasia or one of the other ones. I can't remember to be and I'm probably wrong. But one of the big rave companies, it was just, yeah, some rich posh kid that saw that all these these kids were into rave music and, and spotted an opportunity. Um, you know, fair play, put on some great raves and stuff. But, yeah, it is interesting how these things come about, right? Yeah, I think the, the media's historically been kind of dominated by, by those kind of people, right? And I think it, it probably still is to... Uh, it is. Pretty... All the jobs, all the jobs that people want to do, you know, it's, it's going to... It's, uh skewed isn't it massively in favor of nepotism and i guess there's always going to be a there's always going to be a bit of friction there isn't there when you've got people that are passionately into something just because they're passionately into something whereas the the other side of it is well we've got we've got to get viewing figures and we can't just have your favorite bands on you've got to get you know my uh my friend's son has just graduated and needs a job, you know. There's yeah. that mm. part of it as well, right? And when someone like Terry Christian actually does break through, they're kept in their place, you know. There's yeah. always a foot uh, resting on their heads to keep them down, you know. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's, that was... He that wasn't was allowed any wasn't power, was he, at all, on that show? No, no, no. But he still managed to exert some, which is good. Yeah, yeah. He was there the whole five years. Other things I picked up on. Um, it's just a small comment he made, but it really stuck with me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. He said something to the effect of, "If four hundred people congregate and dance in London, it's called a scene. If it happens in Manchester, it's a night oh, out." Yeah. And that that yeah. really really struck with me. The the idea that you know, London, you know, 
you know, all the journalism and stuff is kind of concentrated there. So they're kind of, they're so desperate to find like any kind of like new music movement that if there happens to be mm. a few people that play slightly similar music, they suddenly declare there's like a whole new scene has been, has been born. But, but, it, but yeah. it's not, it's just, you know, some people <laughs> listen, listening to similar music. And part of that is this kind of desperate attempt to try to kind of prove that London is this like important city. When, as he said, you know, it hasn't had a scene since punk. And um, that is a yeah. really, really kind of astute observation that only someone that knows a fuck of a lot about music kind of could make. And he kind of kind of tossed it aside, but it really, really stuck with me since, since the interview, you know? Yeah, that's, that's another thing I got from the interview as well. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Um, but that he, he does know a fucking lot about music, which is, you know, it's great to have someone like that on the podcast. I think we were really lucky to, to get him on. Why do you think it's remembered so fondly by, by people from that generation? Because it is. like Everyone loved the word, didn't they? Everyone. There wasn't anything like it before. It's been copied many times, but there's nothing like it before, I don't think. Well, just the, the, the sheer breadth of the music. So whatever you were into, the music of that time, it, they, they had them on, right? So there's loads of people mm. in our Facebook group. There's loads of people that are you know, into Mega City 4 and Senseless Things yeah. and all that, uh, which is great. We, we love it. Um, if you're into that, they were on, right? If you're more into grunge stuff, then, you know, you had yeah, Nirvana and you had lemonades and you had whoever you know faith no more so if you're into pop music it was there if you're into r&b it was there if you're into like hip-hop it was there they had grave diggers had tricky they had you know public enemy anything you're into doesn't matter what kind of you know yeah. um, subculture you were into they had something for you you know i think you could you could kind of soundtrack this podcast with the word you know they kind of because we talk about the two different music scenes going on at the same time, the grunge scene and the Grebo scene and all that sort of thing. The word just kind of had it all. They had grunge bands on with, with Grebo bands and all this sort of thing, right? It's um, yeah, all together in one place. I just like the uh, spontaneity of the programme. It was just all a bit mad, wasn't it? And uh, I like yeah, that. It felt, yeah, the it felt anarchic. Sorry, yeah. Dave, go on. Yeah. The, the fact that it was live was important. And the music was important. But I think, if you think about it, in the 80s, Saturday morning, we were all watching Going Live and programmes like that. Fucking good Going Live. Yeah. And the word was like Going Live, but but for us when we're older, you know, it was was a similar kind of show. To Going Live? Yeah. (laughs) It was a... I guess so. It continues I don't, on. I don't think on. I don't think Terry will really uh, really appreciate you comparing his his in depth knowledge of music with going <laughs> live. But you know, I get the comparison. I, I know what you mean, though, Dave. I do. I do. It was yeah, kind of like the next stage. Do you know what I mean? For the age that we we grew into. Yeah, yeah. Trevor and Simon on going live, like they were more sort of adult, weren't they? Kuma, really. You know what? I they, I heard a really good interview with them on um, Scroobius Pips uh, podcast recently. They were fucking good blokes. They were yeah, really, they are, really, man. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know that that humour. It was sort of. It wasn't aimed at children. I don't think. Give us a famous line, Dave, from Trevor and Simon. 
Well, I can't. I'm just thinking to me, to you, but that's the Chuckle Brothers. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> Try again. So uh, you do it. Go on. We don't do duvets. That was a good impression. <laughs> well done. Luke? Well, I, no, cause the only one I can think of, I, it kind of makes me cringe to say it, so I don't want to so do it. So does mine, but I did it. Go on. No, Dig yours deep. is at least... Um, I, I, no, because I didn't like it. I didn't like... I'm going to say it. I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to... Do it. I didn't like... I No, I won't. I didn't like the swing your pants um, <laughs> kind on, of riff. Go on, they had. Go on. Well, oh, no, that's it. I just didn't like it. That was good. I can't. Even Dave, then, you do I, it. No, it makes me cringe. Um, I wanted to talk a bit more about, like, the, um, like I said, I tried to ask them about, like, you know, they tried to get, like, a gender balance on there. I was mm. kind of looking through, like, the list and stuff um, today. Some really, really, really good stuff. Do you remember Daisy Chainsaw? Do you remember them being I do. Oh, I do. A great performance. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember yeah. them, actually. Belly, throwing muses, Christine Hurst. Just, I don't know, just really good stuff. For that to be really important to you, it just really shows how into music it was. But only important if you're really into something. It's not important if you're the producer of the show. Oh, man, I'm trying to find a band either that we've, that we've put out as an, as an episode or we've got coming up that wasn't on. I can't see the levelers on my list. Ah, oh, they might not have been on it. I don't uh, remember comment. them on it. Comment below if you're in the levelers or if you saw a levelers. I don't think they were on it. You're right. I just saw, Sensor I just saw were on it, weren't they? Sensor were on it. Um, that's one of my favourite performances. Yeah, they're good. Amazing. Compulsion Jesus were Jones on it. Been on it Jesus they? Jones were on it. Oh, they were. Yeah. They were. They were on show eight of season of series three. Yeah, what about EMF? I bet they. I don't remember them. They were on it. it. They did they unbelievable sh- on on it. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah, off! Yeah, did yeah, they? Yeah. I have to have a look. They did. They did. So you mentioned like Reef, who were like later on, right? Um, Supergrass were on it. That were, they were ninety five. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. your favourite Black Crows were on it at the um, season oh, five. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? That can't have been Terry's doing. Uh, corrosion of conformity, man. Proper metal on there. Dog eat dogs. Remember them? That was great. It's quite amazing how many bands they had on there. Like when I, whenever I um have a look for music to share on our Facebook page. They're always word performances, pretty much, or Top of the Pops, but mainly the word ones are, are always the best performances. And some of it's amazing. You get, like, two amazing bands on the same... So Oasis were on the same um, as Soul Asylum. Oh, Soul Asylum, right? Yeah, somebody should shove. Popularly itself were on the same as Cypress Hill and Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, wow, all three on the same... Show. Man, nuts, That's isn't it? Incredible. Let me finish off my biography of, of Terry. So since then, um, basically he's been still like writing loads of columns, doing loads of radio. Um, recently been on Master Chef. I think is that right? I don't, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I forgot he was on Master Chef. Yeah, he was. He was. I think he did quite well. I think he's going on Mastermind, or he's been on Mastermind. Is that right? Right. So. He's got a he's got a penchant for programs that start with master, basically, and he's very active on Twitter. So if you're not following him on Twitter, he is. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's mainly like calling out the the Tories for for being for being fucked. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and um, he's, he's on tour talking about the word. He's got a stand up tour. It's called like the naughty nut word, the naughty, the naughty nineties or something like that. Right. I, um, we're a little bit late, but there's like, there's still uh, a few dates left. So if he, if you haven't missed him already and he's in your area, uh, they look, they look amazing shows. So um, yeah, go, go and see him. Is it uh, just him? It's a really it good just him, just him speaking about the word pretty much yeah i think so and showing clips yeah. and like giving some insights and stuff like that so as you heard from the interview he's, he's a, a raconteur so i can imagine he's really good he's a really good person to go and see he'll have some stories show. that's for sure yeah he gave us a few good ones but um yeah interesting guy for sure right okay so if you're listening to this then please do remember to give it a rating and or a view or both so that it can get found by other people if you're watching on YouTube, please remember to give it a like, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment below, tell us your memories of the word and the performances on the word. Let's get a bit of a discussion going in the YouTube comments. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Who have we got next week? Mega City Four. Mega City Four. Uh, although you know we've only got it's only, we've only got one of them. It's only Mega City One. Yeah, but it's a Mega City Four special. Come on then, Dave. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. Let's bring this baby home. We'll see you in a minute.